Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. All right, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, LBCF family. After the last time I was here, that sham of an introduction, I said, nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up here in my dang self. <laughs> um, but good morning. Welcome to everybody. Listen, my name is Steve. If I hadn't had the opportunity to meet you, I uh, would love to have the opportunity. I'm part of the teaching team here at LBCF. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today. And so as we look at the screen, as we see our theme and what we've been talking about these last couple of weeks, uh, curious to hear from a couple of us. We'll give us a moment to think about this a little bit. Uh, but when we think about and when we see this idea during this Advent season around the idea of the thrill of hope, what is it that comes to mind for you specifically in this Advent season and or what resonates most with you? Take a moment to think about this. We're actually going to, we've got a mic ready set up, and we're going to actually hear from a couple of us before, before we move forward. So let's take a moment. I would cue the Jeopardy music here, but it escaped me, so we'll have to do that for next time. Okay, so as we think about this, who has a thought, what about this theme that most resonates with you? And I'm going to grab one of the microphones here. Testing. There it is, just to make sure it works. If you have a thought about that in about two minutes or less, I have to put a cap on this because we got to think we can go on forever if we do this. So in about two minutes or less, what's your thought on that? Who would be the first to say, hey, you know what, I've got a thought? Okay, Gabby all the way in the back. Gabby, I'll meet you halfway. How about that? So my thought is um, life has tension in it. And we all have things that we're dealing with. But um, hope, in a way, doesn't take away the tension, but it interrupts the tension. And it gives me something to hold on to. Like there is there's light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. Something that kind of keeps our eyes on the prize, sort of say, right, as we move forward. Who else has a thought on this? Andrew, my man. And Andrew, uh, by the way, I know you, but I don't know if everybody else knows you, so we're going to have you stand, bro, if you don't mind. <laughs> I'm standing. Hi, I'm Andrew. <laughs> One uh, of our elders, by the way, too. Sorry, I had to put that plug in for you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the idea that hope can be thrilling. There's a lot of times we think about hope, and it's like when you're down or depressed and you're like you're trying to hold on to something because that's the only thing that can keep you going, but actually hope can be something to motivate that can be exciting, that can drive us forward, that can paint a thrilling vision for the future, uh, not just something uh, to batter against the darkness with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Andrew, thanks so much. Who else? We got another one? Let's go with Mary. By the way, this is my steps for the day, so let's go exercise. I was just thinking, like, hope is such a scary thing to lose. We had a big struggle in our marriage, and my husband and I separated for a while. And 
during a season of no hope, that is probably the darkest time of my life. And I think, like, we have to figure out a way to find it because it is the lifeblood in so many areas of our life because when hope is gone, there is nothing. It's, it's the most discouraging. And I think about how discovering hope for me looked like more like a cognitive exercise for a while until I could actually feel hope. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Just want to check if we have one more. Oh, one more, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move forward. There you go, B. Good morning. I'm Val Farr, and um, this morning we were talking about how the Holy Spirit might have spoke to us this past week, and we talked about um, just being present with people regardless of where they are, um, good, bad, ugly, and that presence is what keeps me hopeful about life, about journeying with people in all of the different aspects of life, joy, death, and those things. And so um, hope, just like all the others have said, keeps you going. And it allows you to um, hold on and to get with people of like spirits and like minds. I think I'm good. I don't think I need to uh, speak anymore. I think you guys have uh, articulated that pretty well. <laughs> no, thank you all for, for, for your thoughts there. And I just wondered if that was important because as I was looking at this whole idea, um, it took me a minute to really think about not only that theme, how that theme fits into the Advent season, and then what does that mean for us as Christ followers, as those uh, that profess to know Christ and have that relationship with him. So hearing from each and every one of us uh, definitely helps me to kind of, for myself, shape you know, my ideas or what I think about this theme. And so in looking at this and in light of the overall uh, theme this week of, of love, when we look at the word thrill, the idea, the, the, Definition of the word thrill, the technical definition of the word thrill is a sudden feeling of excitement and pleasure. So think about how many, how many uh, uh, amusement park fans do we have here? You have any amusement park fans? Okay, I thought it was a dying breed, but I, I, I'm glad to see that there's a few of us. I mean, love going on roller coasters when I have the chance. I just don't do free fall. I don't do free fall, but I'll pretty much do everything else. And so when we think about going on roller coasters or rides that are thrilling, we get that sudden rush of, it's that sudden intense rush of excitement, uh, of pleasure as well as we're going through the rides. And so as we think now about this idea of hope, looking at the word hope, this is where it gets a little tricky. Because when we think about the word hope as it relates to, you know, just throwing around hope, really what hope is is we look at hope as a feeling, right? It's that feeling of, of optimism. It's, it's that idea of, hey, you know what? Um, I feel pretty good. Let's say if, you know, let's say if Danny's getting sick or they'll say if Danny's sick and I'll throw something Danny's way and say, you know what, Danny, I, I hope you feel better. Now that I just threw him a feeling, I don't know if he will get better. I mean, chances are he may, but then there are chances are he may not. I don't know. I can't control that. But what I'm giving him as of expressing that is like, hey, I'm hoping that everything works out and turns out well. 
So when we think about that hope, that differs from what the Bible says about hope. So when we think about what the Bible says about hope and the different Hebrew words that are used and the different Greek words that are used for this idea of hope, it goes to the idea of a strong, confident expectation of something that is certain. Think about that. A strong, confident expectation of something that is certain. And so when we think about putting that together based on those definitions, I looked at it this way. It says, so when we talk about the thrill of hope, it's a sudden feeling of excitement or pleasure that's based on a strong, confident expectation on a on, on a on certainty. And so when we think about this and we couple that with what we could be as Christ followers certain of and have that thrill or hope of, we have that hope that Jesus, because he loved us so much, Jesus made sure that in order to best connect with us, Jesus became one of us. You know, there's a prophecy, mind you, there are hundreds of prophecies that foretold the coming of Christ. One of those prophecies we're very familiar with, and that is in Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14 says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So let's think about this for a minute. And what we're going to do is, I mean, for those that are those theological students, this is something you'll probably know very well. For some that are pretty new in the faith, um, we're going to briefly talk about this idea of the incarnation of Christ. So essentially what that means is, is that Jesus is one of the Trinity, right? Without going too much into that, we can really go into a rabbit hole, but Jesus God and the Holy Spirit, they're all God, three in one. And so what happened is, in order to best identify with us Jesus, what he did is he became or took on the form of being one of us, took on the form of humanity. Now, mind you, he didn't stop being God. What he did was he just took on the form of being human. So what did that look like? In some instances, he had to give up temporarily some of the things that at that point made him God. So for instance, instead of him being omnipresent, meaning being everywhere at any time, when he became one of us, he was actually locally, he was confined to a bodily form. When we think about other things, when Jesus was a man, he was hungry, he was tired, uh, he experienced pain, not just physical pain, but emotional pain, spiritual pain, separation. He was fatigued, he was betrayed, all of those things Jesus experienced, and here's the thing, because he loved us so much, he chose, he chose to be one of us. He chose to take on the form of humanity. And now, what's the significance of that? What's the significance of that? Well, a couple of things. Number one is when Jesus took on the form of a man, what it did is it revealed who God was. It revealed who God is. You see, before that time, before Jesus came on the scene as a man, people had an idea of who God is, but when it comes to, like, relational, when it comes to, like, you know, 
we're having conversation, we're talking back and forth. When it comes to experience, we know who God is because Jesus chose to take on a human form and relate to each and every one of us. But not only does it reveal who God is, the significance of that is we, because of that, have been reconciled to God. We've been reconciled to him. So what does that mean? Essentially, because Jesus came and and he took on a form, he was able to die. He was able to die for our our sins. He was able to be that ultimate penalty for each and every one of our sins because we in and ourselves couldn't have that relationship with Christ. And so what Jesus did is he became a man so that he could pay the ultimate price so that we could be reconciled to him. That's why we're all here. That's the essence of the gospel. The fact that Jesus came and being, be, taking on the form of a man, not only was he able to connect with us, but he was able to reconcile us back to God. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. It says this, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So the fact that Jesus became and chose to became, uh, chose to become a man shows how much he loved each and every one of us. But then one other aspect that is really significant when it comes to God adopting a human form in the form of Christ was the fact that He is able to relate to each and every one of us. You see, we have to understand when Jesus lived among us, not only did he experience all the pains, all the hurts, all the struggles, all the disappointments, but because he experienced all of those things, he's now able to come along beside each and every one of us and be with us and understand what each and every one of us are going through. It's not, hey, you know what, I'm here. It's not that, hey, I'm God, I'm here, I'm Jesus, I'm here. I see what you're going through. Yeah, you know what, yeah, really sorry about that. Mm." No, what Jesus did is because of everything that he went through, because of everything that he experienced, he's able to come alongside each and every one of us and identify and understand all of the struggles that we go through on a day-to-day basis. So as we look at this idea of Advent, how does this relate to the fact that, how does this relate to the fact that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I lost my train of thought. Let me rewind. Okay, perfect. Perfect. How does this relate, this incarnation, how does this relate to Advent and what's going on and, and, and the birth? Because you have to, here's the, how it relates. The fact that during this season, Jesus was born through Mary was the means or the method in which this incarnation happened. You see, It's not about us giving gifts. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not about us enjoying the Christmas. God wants us to enjoy that. However, I think sometimes we miss the meaning of what 
this season is all about, which essentially is God choosing to enact his name, Emmanuel, which is to take that human form so that he could be with each and every one of us. You know, when we look at this idea and, and as Mary back in the day, you know, was about to have Jesus or, you know, was, was pregnant with Jesus, this is what excited her the most. And we go to uh, Luke chapter 1, if we could show it on the screen, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. I don't know if we have that. Oh, we don't have that. Okay, perfect. So backup plan. I'll just read it here. This is what Mary says. He says, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. This is the God who promises to be with us. You know, it's interesting when we look at how Jesus became man and the means in which he did so. If you think about Mary, Mary wasn't anyone special, right? I mean, we look back and, you know, we, you know, we revere her, obviously, as the one who um, was able to, you know, bring, bring Jesus. But back in that day, I mean, she really wasn't anybody special. Somebody who was pretty ordinary, she struggled, her family wasn't rich, it, she wasn't wealthy, her family wasn't wealthy. However, it's through that means in which God chose, it's through her that God chose to bring about the Savior of the world. Now, What does that mean for us? You know, as I think about this idea of the word Emmanuel, God with us, think about who we're talking about here. Think about the creator of the universe. Think about the creator of life. Think about the one who knows everything that we're going through good, bad, indifferent. Think about all the things that are troubling us. Think of all the things that we're struggling with. Think about all the connections that um, either remain or those connections that we've lost over the years. Think of the people that we've lost over the years. Some of us may have left jobs or may have lost jobs. Some of us may have lost people. But think about Everything that we are going through or that we have gone through, some of us are going through it right now, good, bad, or indifferent. Jesus not only understands that, 
but he chooses to be present, fully present with us. How does that influence the way we connect with each other? You know, I remember back in Florida when we lived there for, uh, for a little bit, about, not a little bit, but about 10, 12 years, uh, part of a community, uh, part of a community church there, and, and um, a lot of people in the church, right? They had like three, four services. I mean, it was just hustle, bustle. I mean, it was just a lot of things going on. And one of the things you know, I love to do is just to be able to connect with people, but connect with them just enough, right? Hey, two minutes here, two minutes there, two minutes here, two minutes there, but not really spending too much time uh, with people. And so, you know, my family, they would always give me a hard time, even to this point. And they gave me the nickname called the mayor because I was always like, you know, constantly everywhere, just kind of shaking cans and, and stuff. And I remember as I was having, you know, you know, brief conversations, I would always be, whoops, I was always be distracted by you know, what was going on over there. I, I would just easily just kind of flow from one conversation to another. You know, in some instances, there, wasn't, there wouldn't be like an official close to a conversation, but it was just kind of like you just merge from conversation to conversation, right? And so I remember it wasn't until recently, recently, maybe like a few years ago, well, like two or three, I, I don't count COVID years, but when you think about, you know, the last you know, the last uh, couple of years. I thought about what would it look like for me to not worry about seeing how many people I can get to know or, or not, you know, saying hi to like 5,000 people. What would it look like to be fully present and have conversations with one or two? And for me, that was pretty tough because in my mind, if I'm spending more time with people, not only am I getting a chance to know them, but then they also get a chance to know me, and, you know, I'm not sure if they're going to like what they see. Not that I'm, you know, a, a horrible person to be around, but then there's that level of exposure that happens when you're having that connection and you're spending time with people. But then I decided at that point it was more important for me to connect with one or two people essentially a Sunday. And so I've been trying to, not with great success. I mean, there's a lot of things that are, you know, still going on. I could think about, you know, when we're all talking, it's like, okay, man, I, I got to see him before he goes. Or, you know, I got to connect with this person before he goes. Or, you know what it is. But then God has just been really speaking to me specifically. Well, what does it look like? for me to just spend time with one or two people. And what I mean by spending time is being fully present with them, having conversation with them. Because I believe that's what God has done for me. That's what God has done for each and every one of us. So picture this, and this is why I brought up this stool, and I'm, you know, just kind of chilling on the stool. Not that there's anything wrong with me, but uh, I wanted to assume a posture and give us all a visual of what would it look like for us as we're being influenced, as we're being 
uh, called to by Jesus himself as we follow his example of being with us. What does it look like for us to demonstrate his love towards others by fully being present with the people around us? Uh, Adam Grant. Anybody familiar with Adam Grant here? No, some of us here. Adam Grant was an organizational, he is an organizational uh, psychologist. He's also a professor, I believe, at Wharton. And um, this quote came up on my LinkedIn feed, and, and this was something that it just really resonated with me and really helps us to crystallize, you know, what it looks like for us to do that, especially in this Advent season. He, he wrote this. He said, in hard times, people don't want to be told, look on the bright side. They want to know you're on their side. Even if you can't help them feel better, you can always help them feel seen. The best way to support others is not to cheer them up, it's to show up. So as Jesus showed up for us, demonstrated his love by being one of us, and not only is now present with us, but he promises to be present with us again physically face-to-face, how does that influence the way we are present with others in our community? Let's take a moment. Their heads bowed, eyes closed. As we think of this, I want to read a few verses of Scripture. And as we read these verses, let's take the opportunity to really think of this and how it would inspire us to show Christ's love by being present with others. Isaiah 7:14. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Isaiah 41:10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Deuteronomy 31.6 So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Then Revelation 21.3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, 
God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. For God himself will be with them. And so, Father, we are grateful to you. And we say thank you to you. Even as you remain God, you took on the form of us. To be fully present with us, which included us experiencing the same things that we've experienced, the same pains, the same struggles, the same joys. And in you being one of us, you were the ultimate sacrifice in giving yourself for us so that we can have right relationship with you. And so God, as you promised to continue to be with us, not only in the past, not just in the present, but in the future to come, I pray that this would influence us and motivate us to show your loves to others by being fully present with them. Thank you.